This episode is brought to you by Content Multiplied. It's not a secret anymore that content creation is really important, but very few people talk about the importance of consistency. And I myself have really struggled with that consistency. And for that reason, I looked for a solution and uh, Content Multiplied was a really good one for me. Since using them, I've been able to focus on what I enjoy the most, which is recording podcasts while Myla and her team are really taking care of everything else. Whether you have a podcast, you're holding keynote speeches, you're doing a YouTube series, you're writing a blog, a newsletter, a book, the Content Multiplied team can really take whatever you're producing and repurpose it into a series of micro-content and suddenly you have dozens and dozens of pieces that can be shared for you and Content Multiplied even takes care of that for you. Unlock your content superpower with Content Multiplied and go to contentmultiplied.com today. That's contentmultiplied.com. Thanks, Myla, and uh, let's go into the show. You are listening to Impact Hustlers and I am your host, Michael Schaprat. I have made it my mission to inspire the next generation of entrepreneurs to solve some of the world's biggest social and environmental problems. And for this reason, I am speaking to some of the best entrepreneurs out there who are solving problems such as food waste, climate change, poverty and homelessness. My goal is that Impact Hustlers will inspire you either by starting an impact business yourself, by joining the team of one, or by taking a small step, whatever that may be, towards being part of the solution to the world's biggest problems. In today's episode, I speak to Garth Watson, co-founder of Librio, a platform helping companies comply with environmental health and safety regulations across the world. While large corporates have extensive policies on compliance with environmental health and safety regulation, the actual implementation still really remains a challenge for many of them. And this leads to companies breaking the law intentionally or unintentionally, putting the employees of their suppliers at risk and obviously leading to environmental damage and ultimately exposing companies to reputational and financial risk. Um, Librio is solving this problem, and I'm really excited to have Garth on the show to talk more about that. Thanks for joining me. Absolutely. Great to be here. Thanks, Micah. Amazing. So first of all, let's start with your personal story. Uh, you trained as a lawyer. You started your career in South Africa. Your personal story started there. So tell us more about your your background, your your life story, and how you turned from lawyer to entrepreneur. Good question. Okay, so firstly, it probably started, the story start, let's start the story a little bit before I studied. Um, I need to give a shout out to my mom here, I think. My mom is a very passionate environmentalist and responsible for starting things like recycling programs at local schools and and uh, and, and that kind of thing. And I, and I actually, before I studied law, I studied environmental science, probably because of her influence. And then I studied law and practiced law for about 10 years in Cape Town at a really great South African law firm, Gunston Strandvik. And it was during that period that I, with um, Grant and Ulrich, the partners then at, at Gunston's, together with Pete Flynn, who's current co-founder of Librio, um, we jointly 
acquired an environmental law consultancy called the Environmental Law Consultancy. And it was a South African company and it serviced really great, um, you know, leading companies, um, global brands uh, in their South African operations to know what the regulation for them was. Um, And during that period, Pete and I collaborated to develop a software product, um, which we called the Standards and Legal System. And when I moved to the UK in 2015, I decided that would be the time to say bye-bye to practicing as a lawyer. I decided not to qualify as a solicitor in, in the UK. And I thought, hey, let's, let's just do some market research. Let's see if um, there is a need for, for what we've developed. And it felt like there was a real demand. And so we made the call to incorporate Library in, in the UK and get it funded uh, by by local VCs um, in London, and so that's the that's the very short story. It was significant as well that at that time we I was introduced to Malcolm, who's my other uh, co-founder, Malcolm Gray, and and his background was in um, asset management, and particularly he headed up Investec Asset Management, now called Ninety One. He headed up their ESG stewardship uh, program and policies. And so he was one of the forerunners in, in the field of ESG. So the three of us um, set out on the library journey at that point. Amazing. Um, and we'll dive a bit deeper into your journey also up to the present day in a bit. But before we do that, uh, I'd love to cover a bit more what Librio actually does, um, how it actually works. And before we do that, the problem you solve, really. So I've summarized it briefly, but maybe in your own words, what's the problem and what's the size of this problem that you're solving? And then how does Librio actually do this? Thanks. So if you're, if you're a global company or somebody at a global company and you're trying to make sure that you comply with the law across all of your operations from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, the pain points are significant. The reason being is that law is exceptionally complicated. It's it's written in complicated words and phrases. It's frequently updated. It's published from multiple sources, sometimes within one jurisdiction, but typically an operation, say a factory or a mine, will be located in a number of locations. So take an American example, federal law will apply, state law will apply, county law will apply, and then city city law will apply, not to mention other regulators that um, may publish law that is that's relevant. That's just statutes. Then there's courts. We we, we typically don't deal with with courts um, at the moment. The major need for for our customers is statutes and regulation. And so you could get that done by a lawyer, but that's kind of grant work, real heavy lifting. It's the kind of work that a typical lawyer does not enjoy. Um, it's it's really legal research, and so often it gets outsourced or given to a junior. So it's either done really expensively and infrequently, or inaccurately, or not at all. And it's the kind of thing that um, a lot of companies res- resort to DIY, Google, and spreadsheets. And you know, credit to Excel; it's an amazing platform, but it wasn't really designed. For, for legal compliance nor, nor, nor legal research. So that's a vast pain point. I, 
we've we've tried really hard to figure out how big the the market is for this. It's a combination of a number of different large markets. Um, anyone who's trying to figure out what the law requires for the sake of compliance at a spe- at a specific operational site um, could be included as part part of that market where the service providers or whether it's where whether it's done internally and um, according to kind of bottom up and top down analyses this is this is definitely a market in the tens of billions um, and it's and and we think it's a latent market too in other words if there was a product there would there would they, um, people would buy it so there's no um, it's it's you know it's the market is is a mashup of different markets plus an accounting for 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 this latent market and it's it's very large and hard to put a a number to it, but it's definitely in the tens of billions, probably in the hundreds of billions um, in size. And, and the, yeah, so <laughs> it's, uh, it's a significant opportunity. Amazing. And then where you're at today, what's your current state in terms of the traction you have with customers? What, what kind of companies are using this and how, how are they using it? Thanks. We, we, we've, um, We've invested very, very heavily in our product development and our legal data production. So there's two aspects to Librio, um, the, the product and the modules and the features that it has. So you could think of that as, you know, requirements, getting legal updates. Then we've got an assess module in terms of which you can really drill down on what the law requires of you. People, more than they want to know what the law is, they will actually want to know what must I do. So we've got a self-audit, we call it library assess um, module, and um, and then a whole host of other features um, which enable compliance. So um, our, um, and then the other side of library is legal data production. So company wants to use those features that I mentioned, and they want to use it in Texas, um, they want to use it in California, then Germany, Italy and so on and so forth. And so one of the challenges for library has actually been um, how do we service a, com- a customer, even if we've got product market fits, they're right within the sweet spot. How do we actually um, deliver to them if they need us for multiple jurisdictions across the world? And so we've invested exceptionally heavily in developing the, um, the data production capabilities and also rolling out legal data for many, many, many countries. Um, Libraries, very capital intensive business in that regard. So um, we, we've, we've got coverage of some 84 uh, sovereign states and over 500,000 subnational jurisdictions like counties, cities, states, and the like, provinces, you know, whatever they get called. Um, and so that that's significant progress. Um, as far as customers concerned, we've got about 100, 100 customers, um, many of which are enterprise customers in nature. And we typically serve them at um, either locally in one jurisdiction or across across many jurisdictions. And, and the way we're growing is by those customers saying, hey, you're serving us in, um, in these states in America. Uh, could you also do Mexico? Or you're serving us here. Could you also do um, you know, X, Y, Z, foreign, foreign jurisdictions, um, or, Hey, you're doing environment, health and safety. Could you do data protection? Could you do employment law? And that's the way, that's the way we're growing. 
Got it. Um, and I assume have you have you built like pretty much the largest unified database of this type of information, uh, or w what's already out there as an alternative? I'm gonna say I don't know because there's probably information that I don't know. <clears throat> But I haven't come across something like Library with the same degree of jurisdictional coverage, and um. You know, we there are significant players in the space, the legal publishers. Um, uh, some of them are international in nature. None of them have the truly global coverage. Um, all of them provide really top quality uh, regulatory and legal information, but it's not designed for anyone to use. It's designed for lawyers to use and legal librarians who are trained in legal research to use. And it's up to them to and do the analysis and to figure out what are the applicable legal provisions. Whereas what library does is it's, um, it, it enables the provision of what we call library streams and the library streams contain all and only the relevant uh, regulations that, that a, a given customer for a specific operation has subscribed for. So I'd like to say yes, but I don't know. Mm, of course, yeah. Well, uh, every, everything we know, it seems like that. But um, let's dive a bit deeper into some practical lessons and advice that people can extract from this episode, uh, especially early stage entrepreneurs being on a similar journey. So obviously, the value of your the value of your product, as we just like discussed, is like being quite comprehensive. You know, having all these different jurisdictions in there having just one place to go for all your regulatory needs. Now, when you started the company, there's like different approaches to take, right? Like, obviously, as a startup, you can't necessarily afford to have 100% coverage of the globe from day one. Uh, but at the same time, your customers are kind of coming to you for that, or at least for something close to that, right? Because I assume like a lot of the customers that have this problem As you said, they're operating in all kinds of jurisdictions. You know, they're not just in one. If if it's just one, it's probably better for them to just like uh, hire a small team for that quickly or something like that. I'm just wondering, how do you actually start a platform like this? Is it uh, is it quite capital intensive, as you said, or was there like a lean way of developing this product initially when you first started? We are very library is building a very capital intensive business. We've benefited from many, many hindsight opportunities. We still haven't quite figured it out. As a as an early stage company, finding product market fit is um, hard enough. If you find product market fit, you, you got it kind of it's yours to lose. <laughs> I think libraries found product market fit, but what we have, what's been a challenge for us, is what I think of as product legal data production market fit. So like you rightly say, if we had all the data from day one, all we'd have to do is figure out product market fit and we're off to the races. But if we had that global data set, that would be a tremendously valuable data set. <laughs> you know, so it's kind of, you know, it's like a fantasy question to, to talk about that. So the question is, how do, how do you build a global regulatory database incrementally? And I guess the answer is in my own self-posed question. You do it incrementally. And how we've sort of do it is on the back of customer demand. So we've we got to a point early on where, um, well, 
there was one deal, um, it was a deal for an international telephone operator, and it was probably the, the gutsiest deal that we've done. We concluded it, and we rolled out data for the whole of sub-Saharan Africa. We went from uh, two jurisdictions, namely South Africa, well, two sovereign states, South Africa and the United Kingdom. Um, I correct myself there because South Africa is 11 provinces and, I don't know, 178 municipalities, um, and the United Kingdom to the whole of sub-Saharan Africa. Um, and it was it was cool because it was EHS law for cell phone towers. So not a massive scope in terms of the domain, but a, a big scope in terms of coverage. And we, we really just used up all our pre-seed funding just about, but it got us onto a trajectory because it was a big deal. And from there, we've sought to do similar kinds of deals where now you can leverage. We've got typically the, the, the thinking is, we have this coverage in terms of jurisdictional or domain coverage, domain being the areas of law like environment, health and safety, data protection, so on and so forth. Um, we, we, can cut, we can roll this out for you pretty much immediately, but we're going to take time to deliver the rest. And most global enterprises have very long sales cycles. And so a three to six month rollout some of the time to most of the time is acceptable. And so we, 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 we seek to develop the database on the back of, of customer demand, only though if it's within the areas where we have product market fit, right? So we're not trying to, you know, we're not just doing consulting. It is, it is still um, software, but library is unique in that we're not just SaaS. We're, <laughs> we're also like we're a data company. So it's, um, it's novel in that regard. Love it. And then how, how much did you raise to date uh, in terms of the funding that you needed to pull this off? We've currently raised 3.9 million pounds. So far uh, in total for, uh, throughout the whole journey? In total, total, like um, founding to date, capital raised. Got it. And um, one thing we talked about before was actually that, especially in the last year, you had quite a rough journey and I'm always very keen to dive deep into that to extract lessons learned from that. You know, uh, it seems like you're kind of through the worst uh, at the moment, but talk us th uh, through last year, what happened and uh, some of the lessons that you learned and, and that must have been a very difficult year for you. Thanks. 2021 was super hard. <laughs> um, very, very challenging. Um, we, we started our 2021 with what then was a good plan and with the benefit of hindsight, I think was a good plan. So if you take into account, it, you know, the discussion that we've had today so far, what do we need to get onto a, um, hyper, a hyper growth revenue trajectory? Um, we need to roll out uh, legal data um, we need to be able to roll out uh, legal data really quickly. And we also need to extend our coverage. So it's a combination of having a lot of coverage and also being able to, to the extent that you don't have the coverage that any given potential customer needs to say, well, we can deliver this. We can roll it out for you in, in, a, in a short space of time. So we had raised some capital um, during the pandemic. So... Um, during 2020, 
and 2021 things were opening up and we thought if, if we execute on a heavy investment into legal data production, um, we should be able to support our marketing and sales approaches and our revenue should reach a certain level, um, enabling us to raise further capital. And we did that um, and we're living in the good of it now. So we are, our legal data production capacities are like really awesome right now. Um, we've de- developed some really great tooling, including some, some cool AI stuff, um, which is really accelerating our, our legal data um, rollouts. But um, the revenue didn't quite follow. And um, it's not that we didn't grow. We grew really well. We just didn't grow at the rate that we needed in order to successfully raise a Series A. And so we, we um, at, at a critical point, I mean, we were ma- obviously managing runway and managing cash flow really carefully, but we had to make the call like, look, um, this is, we can't count on a raise. Um, so what we're going to have to do is so keep, keep, the, keep the business um, sustainable, um, continue to manage our obligations to customers um, all of whom are, are current subscribers and are many on multi-year deals um, um, and, and, and basically not impair the value of the company to a point where we basically just drive the thing off a cliff, which is, um, which is what that's how startups die. Um, all startups die because they run out of money. Uh, <laughs> that's like, that's, that's, that's often the, that's always the reason, right? So we had to cut cut pretty hard, and it was super painful. Um, we had we, we've at Libra we've been very deliberate about building a company culture that's full of um, honor and encouragement, and um, calling out the greatness in people. And um, we we uh, we get you know called a family. Not that I like that because you can't sack your family members, right? You um, <laughs> you're always you're always family. Um, but um, yeah, we had to we had to let go, make thirty two people redundant. Out of out of how big was the team at the time? Uh, we we're in the sixties. You were sixty people, and then half the team size, basically. Basically half the team. It was just more than sixty, but um, you know we 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 and it was hard and. You might detect in my demeanor right now um, of emotion. It's obviously quite still quite close to quite close to the um, you know the the tear levels are not far below the glands. Um, so yeah, the, probably the roughest one of the roughest four hours of my life was um, the four hours after we made the announcements to 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 the company, and then um, I with um, Michelle, um, who's one of our captains um, who I work closely with, she oversees legal data production. We just spent four hours on Zoom calling people and saying either, you know, you're, um, you're staying, um, congrats, this is how the future is going to look, or so, so sorry, like, don't know how to say this, but unfortunately you're not going to be with library um, beyond, you know, X date. Um so yeah, like um, that sucks. It's just one of those like really sucky, sucky things. Yeah, it's probably the hardest, and I'm I'm lucky to never had to make that type of decision. Uh, mainly because 
I haven't been embarking on this type of ambitious journey that you've been on. You know, I think that's how it starts as well, like uh, uh, putting out such big intentions and actually pulling a lot off. But then, you know, if there is obviously there is uncertainty in startups, um, these things may are necessary um, sometimes. So I appreciate uh, you sharing this so openly and honestly. And I just can't imagine the hours before announcing something like this, how terrifying this is and how like how much you mu your head must turn in circles in terms of is there a way, is there a way to make it work? Is there a way to keep people on somehow, right? But I guess in the end it comes down to do we have the money in the bank? Do we have the investors giving investing and uh yeah. How, how was the time just before that announcement? How did you uh, arrive at that decision? Was it relatively cl clear that you had to make that decision? Um, or were you kind of, how did you go about that process? What, what I've learned over the years is that there, um, there are a couple of ways, a couple of inputs to decisions, right? You've got spreadsheets and numbers, and then you've got... Um, uh, um, other sources like um, non-financial data that act ultimately translates into financial data. You, you uh, and and making good decisions is about certainty. It's about it's about taking the the quantitative cold hard numbers and it's about taking the the non the qualitative stuff um, from all different inputs. So where where, where it's whether it's um, you know hope from a sales conversation or, or whether it's um it's, you know you prayed and in your spirit you like believe something or it you know whatever it is and it's about bringing all of those things together and um you know in abundance of counselors there's victory so pete malk and i um we we often um diverge slightly we don't see eye to eye on everything but where we we've got a way of operating at library where we where we agree together and um yeah man we had to we had to just you have to you can't bury your head in the sand there have been a couple of defining moments for us as leaders at library over the years this was definitely one of them you have to make hard decisions and then implement them um in a, as world-class a way as possible with um you know tough mind and soft heart um, and so it was all about just doing that. Um, I've been really reflect, to be honest, you're the first person that's asked a question like this, like a retroactive on, on the thing sometime later. So, um, hopefully that answer is good enough. <laughs> just a really quick break from this episode to let you know a little bit more about our podcast producer and content agency, Content Multiplied. With all the moving pieces of a business, you can't be stuck managing and creating new content all the time. That's why I've started using Myla and her team at Content Multiplied. It's really an all-in-one content management and repurposing solution that can handle all your content needs. Visit them at contentmultiplied.com today. Contentmultiplied.com. Okay, let's get back to the episode. No, it's it's. Uh, I think it's useful and insightful, and appreciate that. You know, uh, it does take a while to process that and actually draw the conclusions for the long run as well. I think there's like some real case studies out there, but then in a case by case is always different, right? So there's um, 
uh, I don't know if you read it, but like the hard, th- uh, hard things about uh, hard things from Ben Horowitz, uh, which talks about the difference of a wartime CEO and a peacetime CEO. Did you feel like you had to make that transition in your head where you're suddenly from, hey, we're on this rocket ship, everything is amazing, we're growing to making these tough decisions? Did you feel like you had to switch something in your mind or had to be, or did you feel kind of that wasn't the case? I think there's no such thing as a peacetime CEO and a wartime CEO. I think that in running a startup, there's always a blend of both. So it's about, it's just about, it's just a level adjustment. So we, we just kind of accessed a level of, um, I guess, ability to suffer. Um, we dug deep into that and, and, um, and worked with that. Um, and, and obviously you, you draw on, you're drawing your reserves, um, kind of in different ways, but, um, I don't think we've ever had like peacetime or wartime. It's always a combination. I think we're always in a war, actually. It's just like, how do you feel during the war? I love that description. I think I've, it's very much in line with what I've seen with people on the podcast and the entrepreneurs I've worked with. Is some describe it as the roller coaster ride, right? Like uh, in the morning, you everything looks great, and the afternoon everything looks terrible, and then half an hour <laughs> later it looks amazing again, and you're just like on this journey constantly, right? Like you can't differentiate. It's like, oh, now the current quarter is all peacetime, great. <laughs> um, yeah, so. there's a there's a thing. Sorry, there's a thing that I that I read in a cycling magazine, and it was one some professional cyclist somewhere, and or triathlete or whatever. And their advice was something that they, that they had been told by a coach. And the advice was, no matter how good or bad you feel, it won't last. Which is great on a long distance uh, athletic exploit, because if you're feeling great, just enjoy it, because you're going to, I don't know, you're going to slam yourself into, a, into hyperglycemia or something, or, or, you know, whatever. Um, but it, but if you're if you're suffering, just pedal through it because it won't last. And it's I think it's the same in life, um, and especially in entrepreneur entrepreneurship. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I I found a really interesting piece of advice that uh, one of the founders, Tom McGillicuddy, the founder of Ticker, which is a fintech here in actually they're now called Circa Five Thousand. Um, it's a social invest, uh, impact investment app. Um, and he was on a podcast and he shared some simple but quite powerful advice. I think as a founder, you're on this journey with loads of highs and loads of lows, constantly navigating that. And if you imagine it as a curve going up and down, literally the roller coaster, as a founder, you kind of need to stay in the middle and not get too excited about the highs because they're going to go as well at some point. There's going to be tough things and also not get too attached to the lows in terms of like having this kind of the um, downward spiral in your head of everything is going to crash. You've got to be somewhere in the middle. And that's, I guess, the like mentally challenging thing that founders need to do constantly. No, no, no. It's just, I, I disagree with that. I've heard it before as well, some sentiment similar to that. But because it's so hard at times, you don't want to mute your highs. You want to f- express 
the joy as best you can. You want to feel it to its full. You want to have those moments of peak self-actualization. Like just the other day, I was looking through some of the stuff that our NLP team had done. And it was so sick. Um, I, I, I just got so excited. And I called Pete, my co-founder, and I said, dude, look at this. This is incredible. And we was, we enjoyed that moment to the full. Um, because if you're going to have the the other side of it, you know, you, you deserve, I think, not deserve, you don't deserve it, but you, you like, why not experience the, the joy? But then, yes, during the, the suffering, uh, you got to use that to your own advantage. So, like, you got to be able to suffer well and play with the pain and use it to fuel you and so on and so forth. Got it. Um, that's that's a really good different point of view on that. Um I love that. And I think it's a good message to myself. Again, I'm not running actually a startup. I'm, uh, I'm a solopreneur with uh, focused on impact hustlers, doing some consultancy work and building a bootstrap company with impact hustlers. But um, uh, yeah, it's, 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 I think it's good advice. And I'm, the, I'm, I'm somebody that, for example, almost never celebrates anything. Like we launched a community of founders this week. And I was like, I tend to go just to the negative in terms of uh, this needs fixing, this needs fixing, this needs to improve. And yeah, I think you got a really good point on celebrating the highs, you know, I think it's nothing wrong with that. You shouldn't be kind of this cold hearted person. For stuff like that, you should always have a bottle of champagne in the fridge. <laughs> you should, yeah. you should always yeah. have that. So not for everything. You can't be like popping the cork every week, but for things like you know starting a new community and anything that's significant i mean life's too short eh? i don't drink anything anymore but i will have some uh, uh non-alcoholic bubbly in the fridge from now on uh, i'll take that advice from you so um good, good really good point you can get some really good um uh what's it called that that tea stuff um yeah sparkling tea. tea is actually really nice really nice yeah. kombucha uh, kombucha you can get really good, well. um, yeah champagne like kombucha yeah <laughs> got it that's the key advice key takeaway from this episode get some <laughs> sparkling kombucha to celebrate um uh, i want to cover one more thing about this difficult period last year and then obviously look a bit into the future and uh, kind of the great things ahead for you as well um rather than just dwelling on the past but i think one specific thing that i'm keen to understand is uh one thing is being faced with these difficult decisions of having to let go of employees having to let go half your team um But then the other one is how you actually communicate and handle it. And there's been a case recently in the US. I, I forgot the name of the company, but of a CEO basically kind of sending out an email. So you're all fired and pack your stuff pretty much. Um, and then there was like a, one Zoom meeting for the whole company saying, look, you'll basically half of you are fired. Um, which is obviously not the way to go, right? Like, or like this, uh, there's this like, George Clooney, uh, uh, what is it, Up in the Air movie where you hire like these consultants to fire your employees rather than doing it yourself. Um, obviously, there's loads of bad practice out there in terms of how to do this, especially with your employees, you know, their livelihood depending on it. You may not be able to pay them loads of severance over loads, of, you know, like, uh, so, so how do you handle this in the 
best possible way in terms of communication to your employees and what you can still do if if people that listen to this are in a situation like this or will be uh, what 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 advice do you have for them on that i don't feel like i have advice but i can say a few things that i think which is you do it the way you'd want it to be done to you so these processes exist in order to keep the ship afloat in a storm it would be lovely to say we're going to pay you out for a year um you know you're guaranteed a great job somewhere else find yourself while you know use this opportunity to your advantage so sorry you know insert company name but that's not the point the point is to be able to cut costs quickly um so that the company can carry on so it's about providing the the amount of the amount of severance pay that's that's due to due to everyone and if you can't do that you've left it too late really um so that's where the spreadsheets come in but in terms of in terms of the fact that you're dealing with people often people that are, are good friends because it's a fiction to think that friends are outside of business you might meet you might hire a total stranger but after a while you become friends with them they become dear to you and um there i mean there are people that we say goodbye to who if i think too hard about it i will and i will start crying i still can't believe that so and so and so and so is not working at library right so it's not a difficult question it's like if you care about people um like how do you have the conversation what's the kindest way to do it and um i i, I remember that um that recent retrenchment because I, i the the all in pod uh, talked about it and yeah, that's okay. the clip. Yeah. i just can't remember the i can't remember the name but man that is not the way to do it um and and so the, the way we did it um was we had a all company meeting it sucked because it was on zoom but we're a remote first company so it had to be um and with you know employees around the world and we and we what we did was we um wrote a letter explaining everything some of the stuff that I've explained in the call how the company got to the point why we have to do it you know and we 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 split it up and we basically just we read it out um but tried to make it like we weren't reading it if you know what i mean like this is a company announcement and then and then immediately after that i i called michelle and we together had conversations with with all of my team so it was four hours with well not my team but the the those in the legal data production um ontology development and so on and so forth that 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 side of that side of the business and you just got to be yourself and that's when you know it's times like that where who you are is revealed so if you're if you have got poor character that's when the poor character comes out and um and if you know and and vice and and you know on the, on the upside as well like 
it's 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 not it's a time where characters revealed i think absolutely and i think that was the case in that and we we both uh watched the same episode i just uh had a look again uh it's a company called better.com uh, which is a mortgage broker i think or like a mortgage platform uh, i'm not quite sure about their business in detail but i think it was like about 700 or 900 employees being fired over zoom and i think the the ceo was put on put on leave after that obviously uh or, well obviously i mean uh, by the board but um yeah thank you very much for sharing sharing your insights on that uh i want to leave on a high note and cover a bit more what's going on right now i think it seems like you've been through the worst now you're like building up again now early 2022 as we're recording this um what's going on for library right now and how do you see the next years evolve in terms of the the product and the space um and and and, and how you'll develop things give us a bit of a forward look i'll start with the forward looking thing i mean in in the future this database will be built out so we'll have that scenario that fantasy scenario when um you know that you described at the start of the call and at the start of the uh, at the start of the podcast and there it's it's not just environment health and safety but it's all it's all legal domains um initially the ones that could be filed under ESG environment social and corporate governance so you know we're looking at anti bribery and corruption anti modern slavery uh data protection um supply chain stuff um and there's so many awesome mega trends that are currently under underway the one is that um but non-financial reporting is really uh, um there's a real um movement um towards um companies voluntarily disclosing non-financial data as well as a regulatory move um significantly so by the by the EU to require the disclosure of non-financial information so information relating to environment health and safety um human rights and not just in your company but in your supply chain so looking forward like the corporate sustainability um Uh, disclosure requirements um FSDR financial sustainability um reporting directive um the taxonomy regs all of these things are going to be um coming online in the next few years in a in a material way and so um library was actually you know we didn't foresee these things coming online but we've been looking at the the evolution of non-financial reporting over the years and it's all coming it's all coming together um in the regulatory space so library was born for this so in the future that's 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 what lies ahead for us is our purpose is ensuring everyone knows what to do for a just and sustainable world so both on the compliance side but also on the advocacy and compulsion side both are important and so that that's that's the future we're looking forward to that brings obviously um opportunities um for, you know for us from here we need to we, we've got a i think a, a year or two of um basically you know we're not we're not raising um fresh capital um from you know from outside investors at the moment um we're in and for for me that's exciting it's like it's let's operate this comp- co- company profitably 
let's show the the um, operating leverage we have, show what the margins actually look like, because it's very hard to look at margins, um, especially when you have so many different data assets, each jurisdiction being a data data asset. So we're really excited about being able to prove out like the, you know, cash return on 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 um, on capex and that kind of stuff um, and we'll we'll have that opportunity over the next next period so super super pumped about that and yes we're in a rebuilding phase um but also just trying to we not not it's not like everything was was bashed down like um we lost great great teammates but now it's not the case of leveraging the, the technology that we've developed um in order to support a, a smaller team um, so yeah, exciting times in many ways, but also difficult times. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, do, do you find that um, obviously there's a lot of development in the space of uh, climate as well, climate regulation? Do you find there will be much more need for a solution like this uh, for companies to actually uh, navigate that space? Uh, I've spoken to a founder. Uh, of a company called Climate Policy Radar, which is not quite about compliance, but more about exploring policies across the globe. But it becomes very complex very quickly, right? Is that some opportunity that you see right now that you're working on? No. Absolutely. So compliance has often got, got a negative view because it's like um, do no bad as opposed to like do good. But really what society is doing at the moment is they're deciding on behalf of everyone who's not doing enough to do sufficient um do sufficient you know do enough to 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 overcome the challenges of climate change and leading the charge there um in many ways is is the eu um with the taxonomy regs and the i've mentioned just now fsdr and uh it's come into force already in regard to climate uh, businesses that um are involved with objectives of climate change adaptation and climate change mitigation And part of that is you've got to do those things, but then you've also got to like do no significant harm to um, to any of the other objectives like biodiversity and transition to circular economy and and you know marine um, uh, protection and, and that kind of thing um, and, and 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 others. Then um, and then you've also got to. Um, comply with a whole host of regulations that are incorporated by reference into into that and then there's the <laughs> probably the most detailed set of regulations the technical screening requirements that are also part of that which read like technical standards of very very particular regulations um, and so companies are going to have to assess their compliance against that and funds um, the financial services sector is going to have to um make sure that the companies that they invest in are within the taxonomy right they fall within the definition of a green investment and so my question is how do you do it without a without a product like library because the current data uh, providers don't have that level of of information it's actually compliance information so yes like there's in the climate space and and in the wider sustainability space um compliance information is seriously seriously important mm. uh, amazing a big role to play for you a very brief answer for the next one for the last question is a uh, quick summary maybe one or two sentences how does the world look like in 10 years if labrio succeeds how do you imagine it to look like 
everyone knows what to do for a just and sustainable world. Love that vision. Thank you so much. Thanks for sharing so openly on this uh, true roller coaster ride. And uh, I can't wait to see uh, what else you'll be working on, what we'll be launching, uh, be part of like really important change that's happening. Uh, Garth, really appreciate your time and uh, your openness and sharing your lessons learned. So thank you so much. Thanks, Mike. It's been great. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share the episode, leave us a review and consider becoming a supporter on buymeacoffee.com slash impact hustlers. This means a lot to me. Thank you very much for tuning in and see you next time. Bye.